I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 4 as we continue our verse-by-verse study of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. The message this morning, and I trust, Lord willing, next Lord's Day, is Paul and his companions. Paul and his companions. Believe it or not, we've come to the last section of Colossians. No applause, please. We finished the last major teaching portion of this letter, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And now, in verses 7 to 18, we come to the closing matter of Paul's letter to the Colossians, where he says goodbye, where he speaks of those whom he wants to commend to these Colossian believers. It is a section where, for any biblical expositor, you have a great challenge, because there's really no teaching here. There's no command, there's no prohibition, there's no injunction. There's simply a recounting of a historical note, those whom Paul wants to commend to the people of God. But what I see here is something underneath the surface that is very, very special. And that is relationship. Relationship. There is nothing more important in this life than relationships. Nothing. Our relationship with God, our relationship to God, and our relationships with each other. Relationships are everything. They're everything for us in our life. They're everything in the world. There's nothing, no more foundational, no more important, no more crucial than the matter of relationships. And as you would imagine, Paul, as he writes his last words to these Colossian believers, the last that he'll ever write to them, ends with a personal word. That's what we would do if we wrote a letter to someone. We would probably open it up with a very personal word to them, describing, no doubt, something about ourselves or something about them, something that would be a commonality between us, and we, no doubt, would end our epistle to them by writing a more personal word. It's very natural for Paul to do that. It's very natural for us to do it. And even though this is Scripture and nothing we write is considered Scripture, it's still a very common way to talk with people. And it is not uncommon and it is very natural for Paul to end this letter talking about relationships. This morning we're going to do just that. We're going to focus our attention, Lord willing, on verses 7 to 11, talking about Paul's relationship to five individuals who are found in these verses. And the way I want us to understand this portion of God's Word is I want us to concentrate on the character qualities which Paul ascribes to these individuals and how these character qualities must be the very character qualities of our own life. 
This morning we're going to look at five individuals who will become the reference point for the character qualities that we absolutely must see in ourselves. Who are they? Who are these characters and what are their qualities? Well, in verses 7 to 8, there is Tychicus. Verse 9, Onesimus. Verse 10, Aristarchus. Verse 10, John Mark. And in verse 11, Jesus, or Joshua, who is called Justice. Those are the five individuals. And what a challenge it is, as I said a moment ago, for a person, a preacher, an expositor, to study a personal word from Paul that in one sense has nothing whatsoever to do with me or with you, but in another sense has everything to do with every one of us. And it really is an outflow out of who these characters are and what they represent. Maybe I shouldn't use the word character. Maybe I should use the word persons or the word personality. Because really these people represent real, tangible people who once lived and once ministered as Paul's companions. Who are they? What do they represent to us? What are they all about? What does Scripture tell us about these five people, and what is the application or the implication for us in our lives? Well, here we are. Tychicus, he's the first one. What do we know about him? Well, look at verses 7 and 8 with me. It says in Colossians 4, verse 7, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondslave in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. Now you say, Lance, come on. What could you possibly pull out of those two verses that would really apply to me? I mean, that's Paul talking to someone who has a very strange name, Tychicus, sounds like a disease or something for which we need to scratch. But really, Tychicus is a major player in the life of Paul. And because he's a major player in the life of Paul, Paul wants us to know about him. And really, what is the backdrop behind the life of Tychicus is a phrase. In fact, I've attached a phrase to every one of these persons so as to apply it very personally to our lives. I want to give you that key description of each of them, and the one that I've assigned to Tychicus is that he, in the character quality that most represents who he is to Paul and who he is to us, is that he is Paul's faithful courier. The faithful courier. That's who Tychicus is. He's Paul's faithful mailman. He's the man whom Paul is going to use to distribute several of his letters. And that means he's a very important man. Notice what Paul says about him in verses 7 and 8 and even in verse 9. Tychicus will bring you information, for I have sent him to you for this very purpose. And then in verse 9, they, that is Tychicus and Onesimus, they will inform you about the whole situation here. 
that is, in prison. Paul's in prison in Rome. He dispatches Tychicus and Onesimus to these Colossian believers, and he wants to send them both the letter that he has just given, and he wants to also include some private information that is not available to us in Scripture, and he's going to do that through the mouthpiece of this man, Tychicus. And the reason why Paul wants to do it this way is because he can count on this man. He can be counted on, this Tychicus, to faithfully bring the letter of Paul to the Colossians right to them, and then to give them personal greetings from his prison in Rome. In fact, the same thing is true of the Ephesians and the letter that was going to be sent to them. Notice Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. As you know, Ephesians is the parallel letter to the Colossians, different in some degree, but so very similar in many ways. And Paul must have counted on this man Tychicus to be a faithful mailman of the letter that he wants to write and send to the Ephesians as well. In Ephesians 6.21 it says, almost identically, but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. Verse 22 says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Paul must trust this man. Think about it. Paul knows that he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He knows that he's writing the very words of God. And he wants to make sure, he wants to ensure that there is a faithful man whom he can trust who will in fact deliver those letters to their proper places. And he chooses one man in all the world. Imagine that. One man in all the world. Tychicus. And in fact, according to Titus 3.12, you don't necessarily have to turn there, but you might write that down as you look at the life of this man, Tychicus. In Titus 3.12, he, he must have had so much trust in Tychicus that he actually sends him to the island of Crete to replace Titus for a while, why we don't know, but apparently he had so much confidence in this man that he wanted to actually replace Pastor Titus on Crete with this man Tychicus, at least for a while. He trusted him greatly. And the very last reference that we have for Tychicus is Paul's very last letter that he ever wrote, his last will and testament, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. And he sends Tychicus again to Ephesus at the end of his ministry. And he says, I want you to go there, and I want you to minister on my behalf. It would almost be Tychicus to the Ephesians like I am, that, that you are me to them. Well, what a commendation. That Paul would actually say of another man, I want you to go to another place on my behalf, and I'm so confident in you that I want them to know that you, Tychicus, you are Paul to them. You're going on my behalf. You're going to carry out my desires. You're going to go from place to place, and you're going to do whatever I want you to do. And you know, there's something else very special about this man. In Colossians chapter 4, when it says about Tychicus that he is going to take the letter to the Colossians so that they might read it and study it and know it, he's also going to dispatch it to Laodicea, another church, 
which does not have a New Testament letter designed for them. The letter to Colossians is really the one that is designed for them, and so Tychicus is also going to take it by Laodicea. And so he's doing a lot of traveling for the Apostle Paul, and there's one other thing. His friend Onesimus, do you see him listed there in verse 9? And with him, that is Tychicus, Onesimus, he's coming to Colossae as well. And what that implies, which we'll talk about in a moment, is that Paul dispatched Tychicus to take Onesimus, the slave of Philemon, who bolted from his slavery, and he wants him now to be the leader, the protector, the one who takes Onesimus back to Colossae to his rightful owner, Philemon. And so he has a great deal of confidence in Tychicus. He's actually telling Tychicus, I want you to be the one in charge of taking this good brother, Onesimus, back to Philemon. And by the way, here's a letter to Philemon that I want to go with Onesimus, and that is our New Testament letter of Philemon. See, now you know a little bit more about Tychicus, don't you? You know that he is the dispatcher, the mailman, the courier, the faithful courier of the letter to the Colossians, which goes to Colossae and to Laodicea. He's the letter carrier of the great epistle to the Ephesians. That goes to them, probably circulated in so many other places as well. He goes to the Isle of Crete. He replaces Titus there as a pastor, at least for a while. And he also takes Onesimus with the letter to Philemon to Colossae so that it might be read personally by Philemon and as a result to us as well. That's at least four New Testament letters that Tychicus is involved with, that he's responsible for. He has them in his very own hand, the Word of God on his fingertips. That is a weighty responsibility, my friend. And Tychicus is well up for the task. You say, well, how did he come into the picture? Well, really, the only thing we know is from Acts chapter 20, verse 4, he appears on the scene. It must have been that he was an Asian man, a man from Asia. He's converted to Christ, maybe by Paul himself or maybe just by someone else whom Paul has already shared the gospel with. We don't know for sure, but we know that he's been converted to Christ. He's probably a native of this Asia city of Ephesus that we talk about so often. He's already left whatever occupation he has, whatever trade he might be involved in, and he's working full-time now for the Apostle Paul, and he's already traveling with Paul all around the place. And he has a will, and his will is to do whatever Paul wants him to do. Notice how Paul describes him in Colossians 4.7. He says, Our beloved brother, I wish we had time to spend on that phrase. It is so sweet. Whenever you talk about relationships in the church, you need to talk about the familial relationships that are very, very evident according to the Bible, and it is our brethren and our sisters in Christ. It's a wonderful picture. God is our Heavenly Father. Jesus, the Bible says, is our elder brother. And we are related to each other in a spiritual union with the Son and with the Father and with the indwelling Holy Spirit, and we are called with each other brothers and sisters in the family of God. That is so wonderful. I had someone ask me one time, why do you call everybody around you brother? Hi, brother, how are you? Can't you remember their names? Oh, yes. I can remember their names, but I love that term. 
and Paul loved it too, it was his most favorite designation to speak about the family of God. He's saying brother, brother, brother all the time. And he says here about Tychicus, he's our beloved brother. Speaks of real relationship. The family, intimacy, togetherness. That's why we're going over the one another's as we are on our communion Sundays, because we're talking about our relationship to each other. You know, I really began to think about this phrase, our beloved brother, and how Tychicus was designated so, and how so many others are designated so in the Scripture, and I really began to think about that, and I began to think about my own relationship with my own family. I have two half-brothers, one that I have met and have some relationship with. I have another half-brother who I've never met. And so I've really never had a relationship in my own family with someone that I could call my very own brother, someone that I could grow up with, someone that I could play basketball with, someone that I could have some kind of relationship with as another male in my life, as a brother, someone who uh, sleeps in the bunk bed above or below me, someone who's involved in my life and I am there, someone for which we have a great level of intimacy with. And when I began to think about that, I thought, you know, that's probably one of the motivating factors why, why I want to have a zillion kids. Because I want my kids to experience what I never experienced. You know how common that is. You want everything for your family that maybe you never had the privilege or opportunity to have, or if you did have the privilege and opportunity of that, you want to enhance it even more. And I thank God for my boys, for Lancer and for Logan and for Lucas and for any that might come in the future. That's not necessarily an announcement, but my desire might be that God would give us even more children. And it's because I want to see my sons relate to each other as brothers. There's something so rich and so inviting about that to me. And I can't wait until the years unfold if God in His good providence gives us an opportunity to see them grow year after year after year after year and how they relate to each other. Just this past Friday, we had a bit of a challenge in our home. Our son, Logan, accidentally sliced himself in the hand with a knife. And the blood was sort of screaming all over the place. He was trying to help his mom cut some carrots while she was on the phone in the other room. And I asked Beth later on, what did Lancer do when all of that happened? And she said he ran into the living room and was crying and was praying, praying for his brother Logan because they're so close. You know, I began to think about that this morning early, and I thought to myself, that's so wonderful. I mean, something so lovely about that, where brothers are praying for each other and they're ministering to each other. Yes, they can fight with each other. Yes, there is sinfulness there because we're all human beings. But by God's grace, there's something also so wonderful about brothers dwelling together in unity, whether it's physical or spiritual. And Tychicus says about himself, I just want to serve the Lord, I just want to serve this man Paul, I just want to serve the Colossians, I just want to go where he wants me to go, and because he has this commitment, because he has the will to obey, because he has a heart to do what God wants him to do through this man Paul, Paul says, he is my beloved brother. He's my brother. And that's Tychicus, he's a beloved brother in Christ, and that's anyone, that's you. 
that's me if I'm a brother to you in Christ. And how much more enhanced is that if we serve each other, we encourage each other, we pray for each other. Paul never lacked in praying for people like Tychicus, and that's why I believe he saw him as a beloved brother. Notice what else he says about this man. He says, and faithful servant. Pistos diakonos, faithful servant. The same, very same phrase is used of Epaphras in the first chapter in Colossians, verse 7. And it's the word that we derive the term deacon, diakonos. Now this term right here is really not specific like the council of deacons like we have here at the Bible Church, but it's really generic and it's talking about anyone who's a reliable man, anyone who's a reliable servant. He's faithful. He's pistos. That's the word for faith. Could either mean faith in Christ or being a faithful or reliable or trustworthy person. And here it's the latter. It's Paul saying about Tychicus, He's a reliable man. He's a faithful servant of the Lord. And again, as I meditated on that and thought, how can I get inside the skin of this man, Tychicus? Well, just his heart of wanting to do all that Paul would command him to do. Yes, command. Paul was an apostle. Tychicus was not. God wanted him to do certain things, and it made... He made it very evident to Tychicus that Paul was in charge, and so Paul, when he said, go here, Tychicus did that. When he said, go there, Tychicus did that. He was a man under authority, and that man between him and the Lord was Paul, and he believed Paul, he trusted Paul. And when Paul said, do this or do that, take this letter here, go to the Isle of Crete and replace Titus for a season, I want you to do this, Tychicus. This is important for the ongoing ministry of the kingdom of God. It's important for me to have you do this. I can't go all of these places myself, and so I must have help, and I want you to go with me. And when Tychicus goes, and when he comes back and reports to Paul, or maybe even writes him a letter, or some communication goes on between them, Paul knows that Tychicus has done exactly what he's asked. And therefore he says to him, you're a, you're a reliable man, you're a reliable servant. What a designation. Where are the faithful men of our time? I can't tell you how many times I've heard a woman, sometimes a wife, ask the question, where are the faithful men? Where are the reliable servants? Where are the trustworthy people of this world? Even Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 says it. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? It's the rhetorical question that begs the issue. Who can find a faithful man? Who can find someone who's trustworthy? And the answer seems sometimes to come back, I don't know. He's not around. We have so many faithful men in our church, but we have so many who need to be faithful. Faithful to their wife, faithful to their children, loyal, trustworthy in ministry. You know, I was talking with Paul Bush deacon overseeing some of our children's ministry, and I've been talking with Pastor Jeff Cross as well, and we've been bemoaning the fact that we have so many needs in the children's ministry, especially as Jeff now embarks upon his new work as the pastor to children's ministry. We have so many needs, so many incredible needs, so many needs in the nursery, so many needs in the preschool area, so many needs with the first through the sixth grade, especially now as we transition out of that uh, into the ministry of Jeff Cross from James Henrich. We have so many needs as we embark upon this. 
And you know, we need men to be involved in that ministry, not just women. You know, if you're not serving faithfully somewhere here in the Bible church, somewhere, if all you're doing is attending a church service and then going home, you're really prostituting the gifts that God has given you if you call yourself a Christian. You're saying by that, I'm going I'm to receive and receive and receive and receive, but I'm not going to give out. I'm going to come to a service, I'm going to be involved in worship, I'm going to hear the teaching of the Word of God, but that's it. You don't need to do that. You need to serve. You need to go to that table that's at the, uh, in the lobby at the end of our service, and there's a little sign-up area there, and it's for all the children's ministry, and you need to put your John Hancock down there and say, I'm going to serve. You've motivated me. You've challenged me. You've confronted me because I want to be that faithful, reliable servant. It may be some other ministry, but serve. Be the Tychicus of your generation. Serve. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things you've heard from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, these things entrust to faithful men, loyal men, who will be able to teach others also. Four generations there. Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others also. It's passing the baton of faithfulness. It's saying, I'm not going to be the one in my generation for which the baton has been dropped. I'm going to continue to minister. I'm going to minister in power and strength with humility and honor and with respect. And when people see me, they're going to say, like the proverb says, that a man by his own name has a reputation, has a good name and therefore a good reputation. I want to be a faithful servant. That's Tychicus. He was a faithful courier. He carried the letters. So that doesn't seem so glamorous. But guess what? You, if you were in Rome and you were headed from Rome to this Asian population, it was going to be rough. It was going to be dangerous. You took that letter in your hand. You didn't have a car. You didn't have a cab waiting. You didn't have a flight to catch. You had to walk. And when you walked, believe me, there were rivers and robbers. There were dungeons. There were thieves. There were all kinds of mishaps potentially on the way. That was a very, very important job. And Tychicus fulfilled that job. He was a reliable servant. I love the way one man interpreted, translated this passage. He calls this little phrase, a faithful colleague and helper in, the slave, in his slavery to the Lord. I love that. Faithful colleague in his slavery to the Lord. You just serve the Lord. Someone else said, the most priceless ministry that Tychicus performed for the Christian church was his safe transmission of the three letters destined for Asia, which Paul entrusted to him. His faithful performance of this laborious service is evidence that his, his was the strong limb, the brave heart, and the tireless zeal. I mean, boy, he had a great character. And we need to emulate his character. He had trials and travails, he, no doubt, like Paul, had sleepless nights. He was probably imprisoned at one time or another himself, but he just kept on trucking, as we would say. He just kept on going. With all the obvious recognition of Tychicus, Paul even says about him, he's coming, verse 8, that he may encourage your heart. Encourage your heart. It also says about him that he's a fellow slave 
in the Lord. Fellow slave. He's a fellow slave, and what I want him to do is come, and in the midst of his slavery, I want him to encourage your heart. I want him to, to give you the letter, and I want him to give you my personal greetings, and I want him to teach you. I want him to encourage you. Any man with a character like this can encourage any heart. Any heart. Doesn't matter what the package is on the outside. Doesn't matter what they look like on the outside. That is totally unimportant. What is totally important is who he is on the inside. Is he a, is he a fellow slave in the Lord? Someone who has voluntarily given himself in bond slavery to Jesus Christ and to other godly men? Is he a reliable servant? Is he a beloved brother in the Lord? Is he coming to encourage your heart? I'll guarantee you, if anyone comes like that, he can encourage any heart. And if you come like that to others in this fellowship or any other fellowship, you'll be able to encourage any heart as well. You'll be the faithful courier. And you might not come with a New Testament letter, but you'll come with the letter of Christ on your heart. You'll come with power. You'll come with grace. You'll come like Tychicus, faithful courier. Secondly, Onesimus, Onesimus. And we spent a lot of time on the first one because as we continue to go down through this list, we receive less and less information, frankly. And Onesimus, we'll call him the forgiven, useful slave. The forgiven, useful slave. Look at verse 9. And with him, with Tychicus Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they, Tychicus and Onesimus, will inform you about the whole situation there. You say, well, how do you derive the character quality of usefulness from verse 9? It doesn't really say that. It does if you understand the name Onesimus itself. It means useful. It means someone who's profitable, useful, and you derive it from the very name of the man himself because you remember that in the eastern part of the world at this time, when a parent or a set of parents named a child, they named them with what they wanted the quality of their life to be like. Today we don't do that. But then they named them with the quality that they desperately wanted that person to be just like. And apparently there was a premonition on the part of Onesimus' parents because he really was that man. He really was useful. He really was profitable. And because Paul also says about him that he's faithful, he's a faithful and beloved brother, Paul's really saying Onesimus is to receive greetings, literally an embracing, by you. Why? Because he is one of your number. Literally, he's a native of your own place. He is a member of your church. Receive him. I love this. Turn over to Philemon itself. It's tucked in between Titus and Hebrews. It's only one chapter. That's why when we refer to Philemon with a specific verse, we only say Philemon 11 or something like that because there's only one chapter. And if you look at Philemon 11, you see Paul giving a play on words about the character quality of this man. You remember I said that his name is useful or profitable? Notice verse 11 of Philemon. This one Onesimus, verse 10, whom I have begotten in my bonds or my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you 
and to me. You see his play on words there? That's his name. He was useless, but now he's useful. Now, I don't need to say a lot about it because I don't want to steal the thunder because directly after we finish Colossians, we're going to go right to Philemon because there are so many intricate parallels. And it's going to be real quick, only five or six years to study these 25 verses. But when we study Philemon, we're going to find out a lot about this slave and his master, Philemon. But enough this morning. We don't know how he became a slave. We don't know if he was born into it, if he was sold into it. We don't know anything other than the fact that he was a slave. And we also know this, that if he was a slave, it was no doubt a very, very difficult life. Very difficult. Especially being where he was from in Phrygia. That's the place directly where he abided, Phrygia. And there was one quote that I found that said, A Phrygian slave was a byword for rascality. Rascal. If you were a Phrygian slave like Onesimus, you were a rascal. Another person said the common proverb had it, a Phrygian is the better and the more serviceable for a beating. And it was a very difficult life. And it may have been that Onesimus himself had received a number of beatings. But we know one thing for sure about Onesimus. In his unregenerate state, before coming to faith in Christ, he bolted. He took off. He ran away. He was a runaway slave. He ran away from his master, Philemon. And according to Philemon 18, he may have even stolen some money. Because Paul says, if he has done anything to wrong you, I will repay. He may have even took a bundle of cash with him. Or he may have stolen some livestock or some supplies. Or it may have just been that Onesimus himself, because he was a worker left himself and that meant that there was less financial gain for Philemon and so in and of itself that was stealing as well and we we don't know for sure but we know this he bolted he didn't like it there and he probably fled to Rome where he obviously met up with some fellow by the name of Paul who used to be called Saul imagine meeting that fellow we don't know how exactly we don't know if Onesimus came to Christ before he met Paul we no doubt believe that he's probably led to Christ by Paul himself because remember I read it a moment ago, it says he is begotten of my imprisonment. Paul probably led him to Christ right there in Rome. He's his true son in the faith. And we know that because they were so close, Paul begins to disciple him. He begins to teach him and he teaches him awfully well. So much so that in Philemon verse 12, when he says, I want to send Onesimus back to you, Philemon, I want him to make it right. I want him to do his duty as a slave. He says, when I send him to you, you won't even recognize him. Because when he comes back on my behalf to you, Philemon, I will be sending, as it were, my very own son. Boy, what a commendation. I'm going to be sending you my very own heart. Well, that, that's discipleship at its best. Can you imagine this wicked slave comes to faith in Christ? He and Paul are, are in a bond, a relationship together. They're discipling one another, as it were, and Onesimus comes to the place where he looks like Paul himself. He even considers in Philemon 13... 
Paul does with Onesimus as even a replacement for Philemon's spirituality. In other words, he's saying, you won't even recognize him. In fact, you think you're spiritually mature. Wait till Onesimus comes back. He could replace you if he needed to. But he won't because he's your slave. And I know Roman law well enough to know that when he comes back, he needs to make it right with you. You say, how so? Because Roman law, more cruel than Athenian law or Greek law, practically imposed no limit to the power of a master over a slave. The alternatives of life or death were literally in the power of the master. Slaves were constantly crucified, and believe me, for less offenses than what Onesimus did. He bolted. That was the ultimate offense. Paul says, I know he's done that. I, I, I know he's done that, Philemon, but I'm sending a letter with Tychicus. He's in charge of Onesimus, and when he comes to you, I want you to forgive him. Just right out front, I want you to forgive him. He's a believer now. He wasn't then. He did wrong. We want to make up the wrong. If I have to repay, even put it on my account if Onesimus doesn't have it. But I want you to know this. He's a spiritual man. And if by some measure of punishment, all the way from death to incarceration, he'll be able to withstand that. He knows the sovereign God now, but what I want you to do is I want you to make all things right. In fact, I want you and Philemon to coexist in the church in Colossae now. Boy, what a testimony. What a statement. Paul appeals to him. And that, that is, boy, a sure character quality for us. I mean, look at Onesimus, look at Philemon, look at the interaction, and if there is a forgiveness sought and a forgiveness granted, that's spiritual maturity. And what Onesimus is for us is the, the useful, forgiven slave. He's useful because he's a spiritually mature man now, and he's forgiven because Philemon is going to do what's right. We believe that because the letter of Philemon has been preserved for us. There wouldn't be any reason for that letter to have been preserved for us if Philemon had said no. Oh, he said yes. You say, well, how does that really relate to me? I'll tell you how it relates to us. Spiritually seeking, because of our sin, don't we deserve death? Don't we deserve death? Don't we deserve the, the harshest kind of punishment? And yet when we go to God, He forgives us. And He puts us in a spiritual slavery to Him. And He says, you need to be useful. It goes right back to our service. Our character is manifested to all because when we work, when we're useful, when we're profitable, people can say He is a slave to Jesus Christ. He's fruitful. He's profitable. He's useful to the kingdom. He's a slave to Jesus Christ. That really means we can't bask in the glow of our own salvation, but we must, as we are saved, get busy with the work of our sanctification, our usefulness for Christ, for the world, for the church. We have to be useful. We have to get off our duffs. We have to do what is right. God did not give us a salvation only to bask in the glow of it. He's given us salvation so that we can get busy with the work of the kingdom. In whatever occupation, and I don't mean just in the church, I mean in what your work is, in what your ministry is, in what your life is, in what your family is, and in what the church is. It's being useful 
and that because we've been forgiven. That's his character quality coming clearly to us. You know, I also think that's a wonderful statement about the social status within the church. Here's Onesimus. He's a slave. He's going to be going back right to slavery, physical slavery. And yet he can have a great relationship with Philemon. And Philemon can be the master. And he can be in the church. And in the church, there is no slavery and free men. There is no master and slave relationship. We're all one in Christ. The Edmund Hebert said it this way, As one who was at home at Colossae, Paul assured them that Onesimus was fully worthy of being received as a brother in their fellowship. He assured them that the former no good was now a changed man. He was a faithful and beloved brother. While they knew Onesimus as a disloyal and dishonest slave, Paul assured them that as a Christian brother, he had already proved himself to be faithful and worthy of Christian love. We don't know what happened to Onesimus. We really don't. Scripture doesn't tell us. We don't know what happened to Philemon. We can conjecture that he did forgive him, and that letter is preserved for us. We conjecture that he was a faithful master, both toward his slaves, and he was a faithful master in the church to his ultimate master, Jesus Christ. We believe that's true. I really wish I knew what happened to Onesimus. I really wish I knew what kind of reception he received in the church. Can you see Philemon leading the charge? Forgive this man now. Yes, he was my slave. Yes, he bolted. But I'm called upon by Jesus Christ in my own slavery, who is my master, to forgive those who come and seek it, and therefore I do, and so should you. We don't know if Philemon was a leader in the church at Colossae. We assume he may not have been because he's really not mentioned in the letter of Colossians as a leader. He may have just been a faithful, godly slave owner. And he forgave one of his slaves. One interesting note about it. Onesimus, during the time of Ignatius, about 110 A.D., which is not too far removed from this time, it's a number of years, but not that many. It was enough for Onesimus still to have a lifetime by 110 A.D. And we know by the Scottish reformer John Knox that there was a pastor of the church at Ephesus by the time of Ignatius. Do you know what his name was? Onesimus. Could have been him. We don't know. I'd like to think it was. Can you imagine that? Here's Onesimus. Here's a faithful, useful, forgiven slave he so reminds Paul of Paul himself in his very heart. He seeks Philemon's forgiveness. He's granted forgiveness by Philemon. And he's so faithful, he's so available, that at the end of Paul's life, he commends him to the church because he's so commendable. But before his life is out, he's the pastor of the church at Ephesus. What a testimony! What a wonderful testimony of a useful, forgiven slave. And what a wonderful testimony about us. Would we be commended like that at the end of our lives, that we are useful and forgiven as a slave of Jesus Christ? And would we, like Tychicus, be called a faithful courage, one who has received the message of the gospel of Christ and we faithfully send it to those around us by how we live and what we say. That's a great work of God.
And it requires God's work, doesn't it? We can't do this on our own. We must have the Spirit of God as resident within to give us any kind of faithful sending of that gospel message and any kind of youthful slavery for Jesus Christ. It's God's work and His alone. I'm so excited next Lord's Day to share with you the next three because our time is done. Let's pray together. Our dear Father, we want to respond this morning with a, a very clear response. And that clear response is, do I have these character qualities in my life? Do I faithfully send out the message of Jesus Christ by the way I live and by the words I speak? Am I a faithful courier? I may not have a physical letter to give, but I have the gospel written in my heart. Do I faithfully preach it to others? Lord, thank you for this wonderful character sketch of this man, Tychicus. We've said all we know about him, and that's enough for us. We thank you for the life of this slave, Onesimus, and his Master Philemon. We thank you that in your providence you brought Onesimus to Paul and Paul begot him in the faith even as in his imprisonment. He was a faithful courier of the message right to Onesimus. And Onesimus was discipled and nurtured and built up to the point where Paul now sends him back. Philemon has enough of a spiritual life in him that he recognizes that he should forgive. Proving that there are two more men in this precious letter that have a usefulness about their life. Lord, I pray that this church and every individual will see these two character qualities and do a spiritual inventory of their own soul and say, is this true of me? Do I have these qualities in my life? And if not, Lord, I confess them to you now, asking that you would give to me these very things that would be for the blessing of the church and the evangelization of the lost. O Lord, make it true of my own life. Make it true of the leadership here. And as it is true, there will be those who will join with us because of what you will do by your grace, by your amazing grace. Please make this a reality in each one of us. By the power of the Spirit of God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.